Read along with me if you would, please. We pick it up in Numbers 33, verse 50. As you're probably aware, most of you, um, we go straight through Scripture. That's the way it works. We've started in the book of Genesis. That's the first book. We've made our way through to the fourth book, the book of Numbers. We're in chapter 33, which means we're only about a few weeks before finishing Numbers. Then we hit Deuteronomy. So then we'll be done with the Torah. Not like it's a boxes to tick by any means. I'm having a great time. The same way that an all-you-eat buffet is not a box to tick, but you just keep going back. I do love that. Some of you are aware of the fact that they were giving away free burritos down on the south side of Camden yesterday. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> Serious. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Anyway, some of you, I'm like, how many times do you go? Three. I'm like, what? Anyways. Here we go. Numbers chapter 33, verse 50. Start with this. We'll, go, we'll read to the end of the chapter. We'll develop that and then read on because the, chap, the next chapter is, is rather well, self-explanatory. It's setting boundaries and, and lifting up leaders. Numbers 33, 50 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, or literally Canaan. Then you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones. Destroy all their molded images. And demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given the land, you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land as lot, as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance. To the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those who you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes, thorns in your side. And they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Pray with me, would you please? God, you are so good. And you have such a great plan for this time. Lord, you know how to speak fluent every one of us. You are the good shepherd. You call your sheep by name, not by group, not by size, not by nationality, but by name. You know us intimately. May each of us hear you speak where we need to hear you speak, where we crave to hear you speak today. Let your word impact us like a stun gun upon us, Lord, in such a way that we are captivated, stopped in our tracks, and seriously find ourselves in that place of responding accordingly. I pray for the fresh filling of your Holy Spirit to do through me what I cannot humanly do. Let your word burst open. Be alive for each of us, Lord. Grab us, grab our hearts by the throats and let us today be drawn in. And may we have so much fun in your word today. We commit this time to you, Lord. Redeem every second, we pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Let it always be. And you could bet if I say that about myself, I'll say that about everyone. I don't care if they've got a mic or a tie or a big TV show or whatever the case is. The bottom line is the Word is true. And let all men be liars, but the Word be true regardless. Now, please understand, I'm going to go back for a moment over 400 years, back to Genesis 15. Because in Genesis 15, God had already promised the land to Abraham and his descendants. Four generations from Abraham, they would wind up in Egypt. Four generations from that group, they would wind up returning. During the time in Genesis 15, when God confirms the land in verse 16, he tells them, he tells this man who will progenate this entire race of people, that this isn't the time to obtain the land because, as he says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God is patient and long-suffering, calling to every human being. And there will be those who will say yes, and there will be those who will say no. And there will come a time where one's heart can become so hard that a yes 
is just not in the vocabulary anymore. That doesn't make God happy. In the book of Ezekiel, we read that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn and live, says the Lord. It doesn't matter how evil the person has been. When Hitler died, God did not delight in it. He delighted in the safety of the people, but not in the man, because he wants no one in hell. And that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Because the only thing that creates a level playing field, the only thing, is surrender. If it be discipline, some would have the advantage. If it be intellect, some would have the advantage. If it be by behavior, some would have the advantage. God never asked us to clean ourselves up and come to him. And I recognize that's sort of like washing your dishes before putting them in the dishwasher. Some of you do that. But it seems then you should change the name of what it is. Why do you put them in there? It sterilizes it. Why don't you call it a dish sterilizer? But we come to him broken because he is the great mender. We come to him ill because he's the great healer. We come to him dead because he is the God of life. We come to him weak because he is our strength. We come to him downtrodden because he is our joy. You see, if we are honest about the way we come, we could be more honest about who he is. Well, now is the time. The jig is up. And God has, even if you think about it, given 40 more years to these individuals, and now it is time to take the land. When the Lord is speaking to these individuals, I remind you, these are not people who are going willingly, for the most part, initially. They had been brought out. They were slaves for over 400 years. And God had just seen a falling away of two and a half tribes in the prior chapters. Staying on the east side of the Jordan, a place where God had not initially intended here, though the land that had promised to Abraham goes all the way through to Iran, by the way. And so God does a reminder, if you remember. And I think it's interesting because though 12 tribes were supposed to be west of the Jordan, and go ahead and flash that map if you would, just to kind of give us a little bit of background in that. And though God had intended for all to be, this is the sort of property we see here, there are people now that are, that are now settling here. Two and a half of the tribes. And I kind of get the idea that even after the tribes that actually go in, the other nine and a half tribes, that one of the tribes, if you're aware of, doesn't like their property and actually goes north. And I wonder if they took that lead. Dan took that lead from the other two and a half tribes. Kind of like the residue of this rebellion. So God, last week, if you remember, intervenes and brings reminder of the places we've been. And can I just say, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, we need moments like that. Where God says, let me remind you, do you remember what it was like in Ramses when you were a slave? When you were helpless and hopeless and you thought, I'll never get past this. Do you remember that? Do you remember your place of Sukkot? Your Sukkot, where the pillar began to lead you when you saw God's clear leading in your life? Do you remember those moments, those Sukkot moments? When you didn't know where to go and God showed up in such a clear way that only he could get the credit? Do you remember your Pihahirot moments, the place where we crossed the Red Sea, where God made a way out of no way? When you're like, there's no way to get out of this cancer. There's no way to get past this. I am dead meat. And God became the way out of no way. Do you remember your Pihahirot moments? Do you remember your Maro moments? Those moments when God took what was so bitter, and made a life that was bittersweet? Do you remember your Elam moments where God brought just refreshment? And in those refreshment moments, you thought, this is good enough. I could just stay here forever. And God said, oh, no, this is just refreshment to prepare you for the next stop in life. Because that becomes our theme here. Where you've had this tendency, we as human beings have this tendency in our lack of faith to look and go, this is good enough. Come on, this is better than I've ever been. God says, but it isn't best for what I have. Because we look in the rearview mirror, and according to the rearview mirror, where there's destruction and nastiness and filth and muck and mire, we look and we kind of look at today and we're like, you know what? 
Bills are paid, house is good, kids are nice, neighbors are okay, I'm not getting fired, I'm not running from the law, nobody's trying to kill me that I'm aware of. This isn't so bad. And God goes, do you realize that your life is being identified by knots? And you hear it when you try to share Jesus with someone. They go, I'm a good person. They go, well, well, what does that mean? Oh, I'm not killing people. I'm not stealing. Oh, so your life is identified by the knots. But what are you doing that makes you good? Are you saying good is just the absence of bad? And God says, we have a tendency to go, this is good enough. Why do I need to take a step forward? Because we know that with every step forward, there's a battle to be fought. With every step forward, there are things to leave behind. And that's the point here. I'm kind of happy with where we're at because we can kind of keep a little bit of the, of the, of the Ebola in our lives, but still sort of not die. Do you remember that moment, those moments of refreshment when you're like, I could just stay here forever, but God said, no, we're moving forward. Do you remember your effort in moments where you saw that water come out of the rock, where you saw God's provision out of nothing, and then in that you saw Amalek attack, that very symbol or type of the flesh. But we came to notice and discover at Rephidim that our victory is in our surrender. Do you remember that moment or moments, your Rephidim moments, when you realize the only way to win this is to surrender? Do you know how hard that is? If you're taught to survive and you're like, I'm a survivor. And then you get like in these moments where you're like, you're going to jump into it. And God says, come out with your hands up. And if you don't come out with your hands up, the longer you row and the longer you bail, the bigger the storm gets. And you're like, man, this, is, this is sucks. I hate this. God's like, yeah, of course it does. But once you surrender, there is victory. And we learn that in our rough moment. It's just who you surrender to. Do you remember, and this is in order, do you remember the wilderness of Sinai where we spent about a year where God organized your life? Do you remember your Sinai moments where God organized your life, where he gave you his word and it started becoming a part of your life and you started realizing you had a specific, unique place bespoke to you? You had a specific purpose bespoke to you and God became the center of your camp? Do you remember that or do you even know those moments yet? If not, welcome to Sinai, friend. And how everything changed after that? Because up to that point, we were discovering and discovering and discovering, and now we're discovering a whole different kind of world. You remember your Kibroth Hata'ava moments, where you saw how dangerous it was to crave what is outside of God's will and to chase after it? A place called Graves of Craving? Do you remember the Hatzorot moments? Where Miriam and Aaron stood against Moses and you saw how dangerous selfish ambition could be? Do you know those moments? Those are moments we'd rather not visit, would we? Do you remember your wilderness of Zin moments? Where you saw the danger of losing your temper like Moses striking the rock he was supposed to speak to. And that's what happens when we blow our witness. We strike the rock we should be speaking to. Do you remember the Mount Chor moments? Where you let go of Aaron? That person that may have led you, that you may have been able to lean on, but you know to have your personal thriving walk with God, you have to lean on him now. And because of that, now you saw that the moment you started letting go of Aaron, everything changed and you got on the offensive for the first time. Up to this time, the only battles you've fought have been to survive, to protect, to defend. And this is what drives me nuts about the apologetic movement. And if you'll forgive me for saying so, and if you don't need to forgive me, you have to forgive me if you're a Christian. Anyways, you're required. that if we're about defending the faith, then there's no offense. Let Jesus handle the defense. Get on the offense. I've learned a great defense is an awesome offense. I've coached several sports, and I've learned that if the best you can do with a great, off, a great defense is tie at zero. We stop them from every point scored. How many did you score? None. And that's a warning, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. So can I just say three loving words as your pastor? Get over it. Be warmed and filled. And we saw how dangerous it is. Blowing our witness. We saw what happened when we let go of what we leaned on to lean on God and then we started seeing victories. We saw Sihon 
We saw Og. We saw Midian. And now we're standing in the land of these victories. People that wanted us dead. And we're standing in those victories. And God, again, not mentioning Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, where we failed in Numbers 14 and said we won't go into the promised land. God, not bringing up Baal Peor, where we committed adultery on God in Numbers 25. God, I'm not bringing those up because the whole point is, God's like, look at, I've always provided for you. I've always taken care of you. We've always stood in victory together. Let's stop dwelling on your failures and let's start sitting on my faithfulness. Which is huge. And he goes, now he points us to the future. Now that we've dealt with that past and you've seen God be faithful, God says, let me show you how we're going to get to the place of fruitfulness. How we're going to get to the place of overflow. And you know how that's going to happen? With some serious housekeeping. What if the land were your heart? What if the land were your life? And somewhere down it, you said, yes, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. You could be my great cosmic biblical bellboy. Ding. Bless me, bless me. In Jesus' name. You have to do it because I said in Jesus' name. You're obliged. Gimme, gimme, gimme. It's like, dear Santa, uh, I mean, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Really? And yet Jesus never, and I challenge you to find one place in Scripture where Jesus says, as long as you're willing to confess me as Savior, we're good. The term is Lord. And, that's a, and I'll be honest, that's a harder term to sell. That's the problem. Because, I mean, after all, I think you'd be stupid to not, I mean, if Jesus was a get-out-of-hell-free card, why wouldn't you want it? To be honest. But if it's a Lord issue, now that's another story altogether. And that's why people don't want him. It's because they don't want to surrender what they think is their personal dominion over themselves to him. They don't realize is they don't have dominion over themselves. Because if they did, then they're infinitely more dumb because we are bent on destroying ourselves. So I have dominion over myself and I'm destroying myself with my dominion? Well, I should, I would, out of my own wisdom, I should surrender my dominion. For my own safety, security, and salvation... So now Moses speaks. We are in, by the way, look at verse 50 with me. The Lord spoke to Moses, so we know this is God's clear and intentional call, in the plains of Moab, which means we're in the land of just current victories, by the Jordan, which means that we are actually in a place of a reminder of a previous victory because we stood by a body of water that had to part for us to get through. And that was when all of Pharaoh's army was destroyed in front of us. And now we're standing in front of another body of water with a brand new world beyond it. So we are there at the reminder of our previous victories across from Yodakul, across from the battle that's to be fought. So let me say that again. God intentionally and clearly speaks in the land of our current victories before the reminder of our past victories across from the battle that's to be fought. And that's where he starts the scene. The scene is set in a place where everything about us is God's victory, God's victory, God's victory. And now we look ahead and we're like, I don't know if I could win. Do you know, feeding of the 4,000, some of you are familiar with in Scripture, took place after the feeding of the 5,000. Wouldn't you think you'd pass that test after the five? Jesus fed 5,000. You know what the difference was? The 4,000 seem to be Gentiles. Is that weird? But God fed 5,000 men and their families. That could be as many as 15 or 20,000 people or more. With, as we know it, five loaves and two fish. And then 4,000 people come hungry. And they fail again. And let me ask you, do you know this one? Have you actually failed a test more than once? Where God has provided in such an amazing way. He's done something so miraculous. And then you're in this place and we're like, I'm going to die. And then God comes in and he totally saves. He's like, here I come to save the day. And he totally like ravishes the whole thing. Takes total dominion. Does the whole thing. And then you're like in a smaller bit of peril. And you're like, oh, I'm going to die again. God, why are you trying to kill me? And God's like, really? Haven't you been in worse situations than this? 
Haven't I met you at lonelier places? Haven't I met you at darker places and given you light? Haven't I met you in more hopeless places and given you hope? Haven't I met you in places where you are great or weak and been your strength? And now you're freaking out. How does that work? Well, you get it. You get the idea. This is where we're at. But understand, God could have, if he were anything like us, we'd have probably gone with, bets off, man, we're done. I'm so tired of dragging you and your faithless heart to the next place. Understand, this is all for God to give us land for us to be fruitful and to live in overflow. God's desire isn't just to get you out of hell. God's desire isn't just, and me too, isn't just for us to survive. We know it. It tells us life and life more abundant. That's what we get here. I like when that's for a pastor or for a bishop or someone like that's got like a big cross that he wears or a robe or something. And like, really? You think God's looking for robes? He's got his own up in heaven he's going to give us. Why does he need the ones down here? I'm not trying to diss someone that's wearing one. The whole point is he's looking at the heart. And he says, let's get across. But for that to happen, he's got some D words here. And can I just say, as we, again, verse 51, and now you see why we're ifing on the next chapter. God tells Moses, again, in the plains of Moab, we're standing in a place where we had victory, where the enemy stood at one point, and now he's done. By the Jordan, a place where we get reminded of how God parted the Red Sea, across from the battle to be fought, Jericho. And they speak to the children of Israel and say to them, what's the first word in God's sentence, by the way? What is it saying here? Come on now, this should be easy stuff. What's the word? When. When's the word? Why is this so important? Because the other side of that would be if. But God isn't saying if. Do you notice that? He's saying, if you've crossed over the Jordan, if you might, maybe it'll happen. God's like, look, this is a done deal. It's happening. God's like, I'm going over. You can stay here if you want, but I'm going over. And it is in a very clear when you've crossed over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. Then you shall, and here's our first D, you ready? Drive out. He says, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Now hear me on this. What if this land were your heart? What if this land were the life that you live and God says, listen, all of the natives got to leave. You know, We've been taught, thank you Disney and other people, friends and those who mean well, that you just need to do what your heart tells you. you got to believe in your heart. And that's like in like almost every, you know, Disney thing. Kids leave their family and their mother and father. They're eight and they're going to like go and race in the like, you know, Antarctic. And at the end of it all, the parents repent and go, oh, I'm so sorry. The book of Proverbs tells us whoever trusts in his heart is a fool. The book of Jeremiah says that the heart is more deceptive than Satan. Deceitful above all things, and he's a thing. You want to become a criminal? Do what comes naturally. You want to destroy yourself? Do what comes naturally. We are naturally bent on our folly. And you can see why this is so offensive. But it's still the point. The point is simple. God says that the things that once were in that heart need to be driven out. All of it. I'm not into a timeshare here. I'm not into cohabitating. This is a full eviction. And this becomes the problem, to be honest, beloved, for us when we actually come to the Lord. Because what we really want is sort of a cleanup. We want a remodel. But God's got a reinvention here. So we're like, you know what? Most of the house is pretty nasty. You know, but there's this room, and I kind of like it. I mean, it's not so bad. The moment you got to say stuff like just to God, you know, you're in trouble. Like, it's just a little this, just a little that. It's just a small, ravenous animal that will grow to become one that will eat me. But right now, it's just small. It's like a kitten. You know, it's a lion, but it's cute right now. It purrs loudly, but it purrs. Purr! But let it grow and eat you if you want. And he goes, listen, 
So you know why I don't want to give at least and I'll be honest for those that have some form of lifestyle or something that they know is an opposition. They're like, I'm not going to give my life to the Lord because I know he's going to want to change this. At least you're honest. Can I just say for every one of us, he's going to want to change everything. Does that intimidate you? Yeah, well, maybe so. Especially if you think there's some parts of you that are good. But listen, God's not a God of nots. He's a God of instead of. And he always is going to give you better than you have. That's the part we miss. Every one of us is to be reinvented. It doesn't matter how you come. That's the good news. It isn't like Lamar is going to come to Christ and then come out and look like someone from Sweden, more than likely, because the part is that God's changing the inside, not the outside. That's the point. Is that God wants to totally transform. So for that to happen, he's going to, as we say, tore up from the floor up. Because God has to start by laying a new foundation. Let's do it this way. There's a shack. Nasty old shack. But you're used to it. It's Dwayne's shack. Dwayne's shack. And he knows where things go. It's a little breezy. It leaks a little bit. But he knows where to put the pots to collect the water. He knows all that, right? And God wants to rebuild it. And Dwayne's like, you know what? That's cool. Some siding on the outside of the house. Re-roof it. Nothing will leak. God's like, you don't have running water. He says, yeah, I do. It's coming from the ceiling. You don't have electricity. I don't need electricity. God's like, you have no idea what I want to build here. And, and he's like, well, that would, and let's be honest, that would still be better than what Dwayne's used to. Does that, be, does that make sense? But God's like, look it. For this to happen... God's like, I, I want to show you a little bit of the plans. And he lays out these blueprints and he's like, Trrr. and Dwayne's like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get this yet. I don't understand all this. And God goes, good, you're not going to get it all. But let me say, you need to trust me. Do you trust me? And he's like, kind of. You know, do you trust me? Kind of. And God goes, all right. Beep, 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 beep. And the wrecking ball comes. Right? And when Dwayne, and Dwayne jumps in front of the house, no, 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 no. You are going to make my life better. I expect better here. And he throws himself in front of God. goes, hey, trust me. I thought you said you trusted me. He's like, yeah, but you didn't say you were going to do that. He says, yes, I did. It was in the blueprints. And like, hmm. Okay, but just this part. I hate this part. But this part, don't, don't touch it. This part. Just. And God's like, okay, whatever. And he steps out of the way. Bam! The whole thing's brought to, to shreds. And he's like, What? He's like, that's okay, because I still have the basement. And God goes, no. When he blows the whole thing up. And you're like, what? And Dwayne goes, my house. I love my house. He hated it yesterday. But today, my house. I miss my house. I miss how I'd lay down and the birds would poop and come through the wind. I miss that. I miss the breeze and the rain that would wake me up at 4 a.m. Because I was like, Ooh, time to get up. I mean, I miss that. I miss having to poop in a pot and go outside. I miss it. It's amazing what we can miss, right? I miss being nauseous because I drink too much. I miss the broken noses and the falling and chipping my teeth because they say I wore a high heel. Not me. I'm speaking of other people. Let's get that quick. You know, but I had too much. And there I am on the floor. And I, I, I miss waking up and not knowing where I am and, Wondering if the law is after me. I missed that. was so exciting. so spicy. But then God starts blasting bigger space and bigger space and bigger space. And at this moment, all Dwayne recognizes is nothing. What he's really familiar with is what is gone. Does that make sense? That's kind of like the wilderness now, isn't it? In the wilderness, God starts blasting holes because no other foundation can be laid other than Jesus Christ. You can't build on another foundation because it's not strong enough. So God digs deep and he digs deep and you're like, ouch, ouch, deep, ouch, deep. Isn't it deep enough? God's like, look, I'm going beyond six feet deep here. We're going deep, deep, deep. And you're going, oh, I don't know about And all of a sudden it's like, now I feel like I'm... I'm holy. I've got a big hole. <laughs> because now we can start building. 
and he lays and he pours forth the most trustworthy. I'm not, I, I don't have this written out, so I don't know where I'm going either, okay? He lays out this most beautiful foundation, and it's solid, and it's sure, and it's immovable, and it's trustworthy. And then he starts building. And in 1 Corinthians, we see what it is. Because you know what it says? You are the temple of the living God. God's like, hmm, that shack does not look like a temple. And all of a sudden, Dwayne steps back, and there's a part where he looks and he says, I don't deserve to live in this house. And God says, we're in agreement. (laughs) That's why we call it grace. Does that make sense? Now, here's the funny part. Dwayne looks at the pile of rubbish, and he looks and he goes, can I take this in? God says, no. But this is like poop-stained floorboard. God's like, it doesn't belong in the temple. But he's like, but I miss it. God says, don't worry, the longer you live in the new place, the more you'll be used to it. Does that make sense? So understand what God's saying here is, I want to get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. So when it all gone, a full eviction of the native life you had, because I've got a new life now, and it won't be just, I'm not hurting people like I used to. I'm not sucking from people like I used to. I'm not using people like I used to. I'm not sizing up people like I used to. Now, I'm actually blessing people. Well, God's blessing them through me. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, that's a really radical, that's the big step of faith for me. For God to say, you know, I could stop you from beating up people and stop you from, and I was, I was an angry, violent human being. And God's like, I could stop you from all of that. I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's, that's amazing. But let me remind you, the gospel's two-part. It's the death and resurrection. That's the death part. Where the violent, angry, bitter, confused man died. But that's not the, the whole gospel. That's the half of it. You can't have a resurrection without a death. But when Jesus rose from the grave three days later, he clearly showed that he was not like any other human being on the face of the planet that's ever been. And he says, now there's new life. There's new, there's new life. There's a whole new life. And for that whole new life, let's let the old one die. So I want you to drive out. So let me ask you, is there an area of life you're actually asking God to bless where he may actually be telling you to let it die? Now look, at there are areas I've learned. There are times where you hand it over and God says, good, and you're hoping for an Isaac and Abraham moment. Does that make sense? Remember like how Abraham kind of laid down his son and God said, stop, right? And you're like, cool, all right, I just know. And you're going to lay it down and you're like, Lord, I'm laying it down. Tell me to stop any moment now. I'm ready. I'm laying it down. Oh, Lord, I lay it down, lay it down, lay it, lay it down. And you're waiting. I said, you're not laying that down. That's like a yo-yo. You don't lay down a yo-yo. Not without cutting the string. Do you get it? Is there any area of your life? You're saying, all right, Lord, I'm laying it down. And God's like, I'm not fooled. Are you fooled? That was really, that was really funny. That was really funny. Lord, I'm going to lay down my relationship. I've been governed by him. I've been lonely my whole life. And I feel like I'm going to die alone. And I've just got to, I'll take anyone. I won't tell them that. Of course. I'll play hard to get. Hi, what's your name? Yeah, what's it? No, here's another number. Uh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah, here it is. The way that I have to, I mean, what, what identifies a man? What makes a man, you know? For the Messiah, you have to kill a lion with this club. Not even with a gun or a sword or a bow and arrow. For the club, that's like this long. Man, that makes man. Not on Western culture. How is a man made a man? He, he removes the virtue from a bunch of women. 
That's native, and that's got to go. That does not play in the church of God. A father is not a, and I'm, can I just be honest? I'm just looking around. A father is not a sperm donor. A father is someone who invests in his children. They know what a godly man looks like. Because most people in this country I've learned, and it's not just here, they don't even know how to respect a man. I mean, if he does something great, maybe they'll be attracted to him because it's the only place we've taught that a respect for a man can go is sexual. You know where that comes from? Not having a dad. Someone that you go, you know what? I just respect him because he's a straight shooter. He's just, he's just, he's a man of his word. He's a stable, godly guy. And if we had a nation of that, you'd be amazed at what could start happening here. But that's native. That's native to a fallen world. Ladies, advertising, and then wondering why guys are staring. It's native, but it's got to go. You do not find your worth from a man except one who knows everything about you and died on the cross anyways for you. Now everyone else is going to look at the outside and that's all they're going to see. Jesus saw all the nasty stuff and still wanted you. Aren't you thankful? You've got nothing to hide. Let's face it, you put all the good stuff up front, you don't want them to know you any better because it's all good. All the good's spent. I spent all the good. It's, this is it. This is, all the, this is the only room in the house. Because after this, it gets filthy, and you're going to want to run out screaming. Jesus is like, I know all of that stuff. I know more than you do. Wait till you discover some things about yourself. <laughs> it's got to go, beloved. Because I want to love you in a house that's completely mine. I want Jesus to make this heart his home. Now, that's a different story. The world clearly claims this world is its own. You can tell by its poetry. Let's face it. At home, you're unapologetic, man. It's like you want to walk around. However you want to walk around, you walk around that way. Prayerfully, there's some form of thought pattern when guests come over. But you're unapologetic. You're not like, oh, I'm sorry for walking around with my shoes off your house, man. A guest, on the other hand, is like, oh, I'm really sorry. Should I have my shoes on? Should I have my shoes off? We're poly. We're always like, we do things by permission. Does that make sense? And the world has said, this is the way my music is. Deal with it. This is my house. And Christians come in and we're like, we're going to make Christian music. Well, what's that? I don't know, but it sounds like we're guests. We're like, excuse me, can I share Jesus? Okay, no. Okay, it's okay. I'll just get artsy. (laughs) Hey, all the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. I'm not shutting up about this. Oh, you might offend someone. Oh, no, I'm pretty sure I'll offend everyone. Is it hate speech? Is it hate speech to tell you you're dying? And Imagine the doctor says, I'm really sorry, Sister Angela, but you've got cancer. And you go, that's hate speech. Who are you, Mr. Healthier Than Thou? Who do you think you are? But you've been sick before. It's got to go. But you know what the good news is? It's only clearing way for him to make his, your heart his home. Destroy. So it's drive out and then destroy. Destroy, by the way, everything that they've worshipped. Could you imagine what that would be like? A guy can throw a ball through a hoop or kick it to a net. He could beat his family or not have it or lay, you know, totally leave them behind. He'd have a horrible lifestyle and we worship him. It's so great not knowing the European football world. I mean, I, I don't mind watching the game. first game I ever watched was USA versus England. I rooted for England, mind you. So it's my home team. It tied at 0-0. I was like, it looked like a bunch of kids running around a playground. I didn't get it, but I'm getting more of it as I watch. But when someone's like, you don't understand, that's Ronaldo. I'm like, McDonald though? They're like, oh, you're hopeless. But if we're going to worship someone because they can sing, I remember that. The reason I got into music was because I won't even say who, but there was a particular guy and he was not good looking. But all the girls liked him because he could sing. And I thought, if that guy gets girls from singing, I've got some hope here. (laughs) Seriously, I was like 12, you know, I was like, "Mm." 12 is like, that's a formative age for that kind of thing. 
I'm like, that, anyways, I don't need to develop that. Now, here's the point. <laughs> Getting too transparent, and I need to. Okay, listen. God's like, look, it, it needs to be destroyed. It does, notice, by the way, he doesn't say make it to the where it's like rebuildable. Destroy means you ain't getting back to it. That's the whole boom part. You're like, I don't know if I can put that together. God goes, that's the point, Dwayne. What is it we're worshiping? Wealth? Fame? Fortune? Power? And those are, you know what those are? Those are engraved stones. Those are molded images. And they're high places. How do you demolish a high place? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, the... the, the um, why can't I think of the word? Anthropologists. Thank you. The archaeologists and anthropologists have a term. Once a holy place, always a holy place. You want to find someone's you know, worship, place of worship, just dig beyond the current place of worship. Which people have a tendency to build upon and build upon and build upon. I do find this interesting. You could go up to a high place, and they've always thought, you know, the higher up you get, I don't know, the closer to God or whatever that is, but aren't you thankful that my God gets low? That's where he met me. The best way to demolish a high place is to blow it up, to take it down, because so that it's not a high place at all anymore. Get it down to the root. With the engraved stones, the things that shouldn't be worshipped, that have been worshipped, that somehow have tried to make their way into the new thing, God says, I want that out because I deserve that space. And let's be honest, he does. The high places are the places where we would go to worship them. My life can't be about clubs and pubs and movie stubs. Because to be honest, God wants to turn me into a sanctuary and then he wants to make a really big, beautiful church out of people. When all the sanctuaries get together, could you imagine what that's supposed to look like? It's supposed to look awesome is what it's supposed to look like. To drive out, destroy, demolish, and then dispossess. Notice in verse 53 it says, dispossess and dwell in. And I do like this because the point is it's not to empty but to replace. Jesus says, by the way, in Luke chapter 11, and hear me on this, we're near done, and, and we may run through the chapter, but listen, um, Luke 11:53. Jesus, or Luke 11, actually 25, he says, hey, when a demon's driven from a human being, a house, he searches through land to try to find a place where he can rest. And when he goes back, he looks and he finds the house swept and in order. He gets seven worse than himself, and I tell you, that person was worse off than they were before. You know what's interesting is, I shouldn't say when I was younger, because that makes me sound like a grandpa. But when I was younger, it seemed like when we talked about things like demon possession and all that, people were like, man, that's like superstitious. And today, more people believe that that aren't Christians than are. I'm like, oh, I know, I saw that movie. I saw that movie. It scared me. Whoa, it scared me. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, let's talk about scripture for a moment. Oh, no, 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 that stuff's fairy tales. But this stuff's true. Why? Because somebody wrote it? You even knew it was fiction. Do you mean like rated R means like really true? And what we think is it's okay to have the house swept in an order. But God didn't take Dwayne's house and just sweep it up, put a nice coat of paint on it. It isn't about redecorating. It's about reinventing. He says, I want, I want it gone. That's the whole idea. And so look at when that stuff gets out, there's going to be a place for you and me to be. See, that's what you're missing. I want it out so we can be there. We, you and me. Not just God's like, oh, I'm going to be here by myself. And, uh, and I'm just going to emanate light. And, uh, you know, what it is, is God's like, look, I want another place for you and me. I have about 12 different places in London that are like, as weird as it sounds, date places with me and God. I don't, it's like, that's my place where I get alone with the Lord and it's just me and him. I'm just there with his word and I'm like, all right, Lord, have it. Let's, just, let's just hang out. Do you know what it's like to pleasure in his pleasure? That makes his delight in his delight where you just know he's stoked on you. It's a little park in High Barnet. There's a little place south of here. I won't tell you where. Find your own. The places where I just get alone with them and I just want them to be. And it's like, what's cool is, I'm like, those are like my, our places. With each of my girls, I've had places that are like our places. I want to demonstrate that as a father to my girls. When we were back in Morro Bay, my oldest, Shante, used to have a place called the Cookie Jar Place. 
We went and got ice cream, got hyped up on sugar like she needs that. And it was like all these quick jar places. And we moved from that to this Moroccan place that she called the couches place because it was full of couches. But there was, I was like, there was our place. It was like, this was what we did. Ruthie and I used to go to breakfast every Sunday morning. We had a specific place that was our place for that. And it was like special because of that. I mean, it was, to be honest, it was like the place could be rank or not so great. But because of that association, it's great. Does that make sense? God wants that in your heart. God wants to be able to say, you know what? If we get rid of this, I want this out so we can be there together. That's the point here. Does that make sense? And then finally, in verse 54, it says, because I'm giving you that land, I just want you to take it with me, that I shall divide the land. You shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you give a larger, to the smaller you give a smaller. Now listen, in this, dividing means, and here's the weird part. You don't even know the land you're getting yet. Did you get that? We're going to come in and he's going to say in the next chapter, here's the territory. We're going to go in and let's take this territory. But you don't even know yet where your territory is, which is cool because the idea is simple. Anna's going to fight a battle and she's going to fight a battle for land that she might not even live in, but someone she loves might. Andrew and Deborah are going to fight a battle that in the end of it all, it's not just for them. Other people are going to benefit from the, the ground gained. Does it, does it make sense? Chris and Mary are going to fight a battle that the battle that they get and the ground that's going to be gained will be divided up other, uh, among other people too. And what will happen is God will heal a marriage and transform a couple and deliver somebody from some form of slavery and He'll give them life where there was death. And He's going to say, now that land's not just for you. You're going to divide that off now because other people are going to need to live there too. I'm not like I'm a girl and I'm angry and I don't get it and... Charlene says, I know what that's like, and I can tell you how God delivered me. I was hopeless and addicted to drugs, and I didn't know, and there was no way out. And Anthony says, let me, can I walk you through how God delivered me? And he's dividing the land. Do you get it? Because God's not like, this isn't taking land for yourself. This is because I want us to be a family. And that's why I want us to fight together so that when the land gets divvied up, we'd be like, oh, I remember that land. I'm so glad you got it, Maureen. Enjoy it. There's a really cool waterfall over that bridge. Don't miss that. Because I've been there. Isn't that what you want? But here's the warning. Well, what if you don't go all out? Well, let me tell you what your life's like. Bob, why don't you tell them what they've lost? Verse 55. But if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, and by the way, I, don't, I challenge you to look in those verses prior how many times he says the word all. Drive out all, destroy all, so forth. <coughs> He says, if you, but he says, then if you let those things remain that should be driven out, there'll be irritants in your eyes. You won't even be able to see straight. There'll be thorns in your side. You can't even, you will have a weak walk. They'll harass you. Literally means to limit. You'll have a limited life and ultimately you'll lose the land. That's what you get. You want to live a life of compromise? You won't be able to see straight. You'll have a weak walk. You'll have a limited life and you'll lose the land. Does that sound like your life? Well, then maybe today God needs to get back down to the floor and start tearing it up. You say, all right, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. That's the point. You know what's interesting? Of all of these terms, listen, the terms drive out, destroy, demolish, they all sound like something from like a death metal group, right? You know, it's like drive out, destroy, demolish, dispossess. Dispossess. Dwell, divide. I noticed the words date weren't in there. You need to date the people of the land. Defer, like sit back and just wait and see what happens. Or delight in the land. I don't see those words in there. Drive out, dispossess, destroy, demolish. Those words are in there. So what if God brought the wrecking ball to your life? Would you say, no way. You were supposed to make my life better. And God says, yeah. I'm tearing up the shack, baby, and we're making ourselves a sanctuary. You're like, can't you make this one? Because what kind of God should live in a place like this? Weak and beggarly? God hasn't intended that for your life, nor mine. So listen. Last thing we pray. We're going to read through this chapter. There are going to be a lot of places you may not be familiar with. To be honest, a lot of the archaeologists aren't still radically familiar with it, but I'll point out two quick things and we'll close this up. Go ahead and show the map if you would, please. Thank you, Daniel. Verse chapter 34, read along with me. God has said, here's very clear, God has set boundaries and set places for everyone. 
It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When, notice the word when again, you come into the land of Canaan, that is, in the land that shall follow your inheritance, the land of Canaan to its boundaries, its southern border shall be, God is a specific place south, the wilderness of Zin across from Eden, and your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Sea. That's a very easy place. To, and it's easy to kind of identify the borders of Israel because it's the Med, the Dead, and the Red. The Med, Mediterranean Sea, Dead Sea, and the Red Sea. It says, verse, um, verse, it'll be, uh, to the wilderness of Zin, verse 3, along the border of Edom, your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Sea. Your border then shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Acharbim, which, by the way, for what it's worth, Acharbim means the ascent of scorpions. You can have that land if you like. Continuing through them to Zin, which means crag, beyond the south of Kadesh Barnea, and then you shall go to Hazar, which means to be fenced in or a yard, to Adar, which means ample, in a place called bone-like, which I imagine means it's really white and dry. Continue into Azmon. The border then shall turn from Azmon to the brook of Egypt. It's always kind of, notice God is all these waters to help with us here. That's fundamental. To the end of the sea. The scene it says in verse 6, <clears throat> the western border, <clears throat> you shall have the great sea as a border. This shall be your western border, and this shall be your northern border. From the great sea you shall mark out your border, a line from Mount Hor. Mount Hor, by the way, remember Hor means mountain, so it means mount, mountain. You shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hamat. Hamat, by the way, means walled in. Then your direction shall move towards Zedad, which means sliding. The border shall then go to Zifron, which means fragrant. I'll, I, think I, I think I'd like to live there. It all depends on what it smells like. And it shall land then at Chazar Anan, which means, in essence, the village of springs or yard of springs. This shall be your northern border. You shall mark out your eastern border from Chazar Anan. And on, I'm sorry, to Shifam, which means bare spot. You can have that one too, by the way, if you want. The border shall go down from Shifam to Ribla, which means fertile. It's interesting, isn't it, that God says bare spot and fertile are next to each other? To the area of Ain, which means fountain, perhaps why it's so fertile. The border shall go down and reach to the eastern side, the Sea of Chinevet. By the way, it's interesting, that sea has four names, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Gennesaret, and the Sea of Chinevet. And if you can see it, the reason for that is its shape. That's what we see here. Those of you who are interested in going to Israel with us, we will spend a lot of time there because it's a lot of Jesus' ministry takes place there. Do we have a picture of a harp, by the way? Do you have that? You'll see. Look at that. Now compare that to the shape. And I think it's interesting. Go ahead and go back to that map if you would. Now, please hear me on this. Gennesaret's just the Greek word. Chinaret's the Hebrew word, but it means harp. And it's interesting because God has four different places, or four different names to call it. The same way some of you might have a couple names, nicknames or whatever the case is. And you find interesting that when certain names are called, you know that certain tones on that, if that makes sense. If your parents use your full name, maybe you're in trouble. Does that make sense? Anthony G. Christian Holiday. Uh-oh, dang it. Once the G gets in there, I know I'm in trouble. Huh. And God does that with this place as well. It's a place of great intimacy like a harp would be. You can't play a harp loud. Not at least until lately. Verse 13, it tells us then, by the way, after all of those boundaries, Jordan, of course, is of our eastern border, and the western border, of course, border is the Great Sea, the Mediterranean. Verse 13, he tells us, by the way, there are two and a half tribes missing out. Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, This is the land in which you shall inherit by lot, which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and a half tribe, because the other tribes, Reuben, by the way, it says, according to the house of their fathers, which tells us that the whole family seemed to be in agreement, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, because their whole family was in agreement, received the inheritance. And the half-tribe of Manasseh. Do you see what's missing from that? That whole according to the house of their fathers? Because all of Manasseh was not in agreement, remember. Only half of it has received its inheritance. The two tribes and the one half-tribe have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan, across from Jericho, eastward towards the sunrise. So there's our borders. That's what God's going to give us. He already has a land. By the way, that land is for what it's worth is at least 50 times larger than the land they lived in prior, for what it's worth. And that's, it's not that huge, but it's bigger. And that's the whole point. God's got an infinitely greater space than they knew back in Ramses. And the Lord spoke excuse me, to Moses, saying, These are the names of the men who will divide it. I have specific people that will help divide the land once you get it, in the land of the inheritance. There's the high priest Eleazar, 
Joshua the son of Nun, and you shall take a leader, one from every one of the twelve tribes. Now, it's interesting, because Caleb, now once we get to the names after Caleb, he's the only one from the original tribes of these twelve that will actually be from the original. And these names, you go, what's the difference? What's the deal? Listen to these names for a minute, and this is how we close this up. 20 says from the tribe of Simeon, Shemuel. Can you say Shemuel? Come on, I try to do a Hebrew. You have to be like a Shemuel. That's a little better. And by the way, the name means God has heard. From the tribe of Benjamin, ready? Elidad. Come on, now give it to me. Elidad. When we're almost done. Show me you got it in you. Elidad means whom God loves. What a great name. Now, I don't know who names their kid this, but just the same. The leader of the tribe of Dan, Buki. You want to try Buki? Now, actually, to be honest, I think I know some people in Africa who are named Buki. Um, the son of Jogli, Yogli. Buki, by the way, means he pours out. From the son of Joseph, the leader of the tribe of the children of Manasseh, we have the name Haniel. Would you say Haniel? Haniel, by the way, means God's favor or God's grace. The son of Ephod. If you, if you have anyone here named Hannah, John, Joanna, anyone? Is it? Yeah. Those are all from the same name. That means grace. Anna, from God's grace. The leader of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, Kemuel. Can you say Kemuel? Come on, give it to me, you guys. Kemuel. Thank you very much. Kemuel, by the way, and I do like that, means God resurrects or God raises up. From the leader of the tribe of Zebulun, we have Elizaphan. So when you say Elizaphan, come on, give it to me now. Elizaphan. And it means, by the way, for earth, God's precious treasure. From the tribe of the children of Issachar, Paltiel. Paltiel? Paltiel is an important one. Paltiel means whom God delivers. The leader of the tribe of the children of Asher, Ahihud. Would you say Ahihud? Come on, give it to me like, woo! Ahihud! Ah, so much better. Thank you. Ahihud, by the way, means brother he knows. Last, then, the leader of the tribe, the children of Naphtali, Pedahel. Pedahel means whom God has ransomed. So what's the big deal? Not much, unless you want to read them. Shemuel, Eledad, Buki, Haniel, Chemuel, Elzefan, Paltiel, Ahichud, Padahel. What is that big deal? Let me just say what it says. God has heard whom God loves. He pours out God's grace as God raises up God's precious treasure whom God delivers, the brother he knows whom God has ransomed. That's the list as you read them. That's, and I'm like, I kind of see why he picked them. I hope they're as good as their names are. These are the ones the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance among the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. You'll say, can you read that to me one more time? Yes, I will. God has heard whom God loves. He pours out God's grace or God's favor as God raises up God's precious treasure. And God delivers the brother he knows whom God has ransomed. And that's what God wants to do here today as we pray. Have you accepted God's ransom? Are you still trying to get in by trying to doll up the house and say, is the house good enough? God has it set for a demo. And I guarantee you, if you read the blueprints with me, you'll be very excited about that. Scripturally, every human being is in the same place. We are in need of a Savior. The only thing that will stop you, I'll be honest, is your pride. Pride is the one thing every man and woman struggles with that says, I can do it myself. And God says, how about if I just save you? You're like, can I say God wants to save you? And today he wants to make clear he died on the cross so that all of our guilt could be properly punished because he was the only one innocent, so he was the only one qualified to do so. He was also the only one who volunteered. Aren't you thankful that both met at the same place? 
He died on the cross so that you actually don't have to stand before God guilty. He paid it. Then, just as Scripture had promised, he rose from the grave three days later and offers us a brand new life. That's the part he did. Here's the part you have to do. You ready? It's really going to be very difficult. Say yes. That's what you have to do. Say yes to his love. Yes to his forgiveness. Yes to his innocence on your behalf. Yes to his payment and yes to his lordship. If you're willing to do that, you're like, but now after that message, I'm afraid God's going to bring out the wrecking ball. Oh, can I just comfort you to say he is? But I guarantee you, you will not be sorry. There are some things he will resurrect infinitely better. Some things he will let stay dead. But only he knows what's best. And I'm confident of that. That's the choice we need to make as we pray. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so, so much for the blessing of your word. How, Lord, you've laid out specific places for us. You've set our times, our boundaries. You know every breath. You know our last one. We don't. We confess to you. We don't know our last breath, but you do. And you don't want us to spend another one away from you. You created us for fellowship. And today, Lord, you are, by the power of your Holy Spirit, drawing us to you. For every person here who has made claim to you, accepted the gift of Jesus' death on the cross, accepted his lordship at his resurrection, for every person, get us excited about your construction site, our lives. Get us excited about the changes you make. And give us the faith for everything you remove, you are going to replace with better. That you want places special just for us. God, give us that faith to trust you. And Lord, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for every person who makes claim to you, speak right now words of comfort uniquely and individually to each of us. That we could hear you say, I know what I'm doing. Rest in me. I know it seems that you don't know where you're going. I know things seem sketched. They're scary. You can't work your way out of it. You can't strength your way out of it. You can't charm your way out of it. You can't think your way out of it. Because God's bigger. He needs you to trust him. Because as you trust him, you're going to see a horizon like you've never seen before. Give us the faith to rest and stop fighting you. And Lord, while you, by your Holy Spirit, is dealing with every believer here, I pray right now for every person who maybe even for the first time in their life recognizes that there is a choice to be made. Like a wedding, whether the groom may drop the knee, but you can't be married without some form of agreement, some form of choice. And here, right now, God is rolling up his sleeves to do the greatest work yet. And here in this room, right now, God wants to make you, you know who you are, uniquely you, a masterpiece. Greater than you can imagine. And you know it, you're tired, you're so tired of fighting, you're so tired of trying to live life in its futility and it seems like every time you get ahead you just slide back down. You know this stuff. And he's been calling to you. And today you know that the bullet's fallen into the chamber. Everything is locked and loaded and now it's just time to say, all right, you're right, God. I'm tired of fighting. This is it. I need to hand myself to you. I recognize that. I come out with my hands up. So today, as you make that choice, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask, even under your breath, to repeat after me. The Bible says if we're willing to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Not might be, but you will be. It's a when, not an if. And right now in this room, as we do at the end, as quite as you want to pray that prayer with me, I'm going to give you clear what it is. God, I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for me. I know you rose again. Then go ahead and pay for my sins and go ahead and give me this new life. That's basically the prayer. As you repeat after me at the end of it, though, I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying, I won't even hear myself say amen. Yes, let those words be my words. I make claim to this now. This is mine. And here's the prayer. 
Again, if you want to make that choice to follow Jesus right now with me, pray this prayer with me. God in heaven, I am a sinner. I'm not perfect. You know it. And I know it. But I believe you so loved me. You sent Jesus to die on the cross. That all of the crimes of my heart would be punished. And as he died there, my verdict died with him. And just like Scripture promised, three days later, he rose again. So, if the part you've made for me is to say yes, then I say yes to your payment, your ransom, the new life, the new invention. that you have for me. I give myself to you. I may not know all, but I know this much. If you want me, you can have me. I'm yours now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads down for a moment. I'm going to ask this out of kindness and out of respect for you. If you have prayed that prayer today, receive the gift. I'm not here to humiliate you or anything. I just want to know so I could be praying for you. While heads are bowed so no one else can see yet. If you've prayed that prayer today, I ask you just to slip up your hand ever so slightly so I can see. I see you. Who else today? I see you. I see you. I see you. Anyone else today? I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Oh, Lord. For those who today have responded to your gift, cement in their hearts the work you are about to do, blow their minds in the very best of ways, give them a hunger for your word, nestle them healthy in a fellowship, show them the beauty of intimacy and prayer, and grow them as you grow us all into you. Thank you, Lord. I know you took him seriously. Jesus, in your name. Amen.